You are listening to Pastor Dennis Helton of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please join us as we study the scriptures one verse at a time, finding therein the power of God and the wisdom which leads to salvation. And without further ado, here's Pastor Dennis Helton. with everybody. Look forward to it every week, of course. We are entering into the last few verses of 2 Corinthians. We're not set up to finish it this week. We're getting awfully close. I think we have one more week left after this. It's been a journey, hasn't it? Been a, uh, a walk through this particular epistle. Paul's been defending himself and defending his ministry and above all, really, the gospel. He defends the gospel um, as far as the Corinthians are concerned. The theme of the last um, few verses that we've been dealing with is Paul having a concern for these Corinthians and their spiritual maturity and their uh, spiritual walk. And he wants the very best for them. He doesn't want them to be deceived. He wants them to have truth and to be able to grow in it. He's the one who brought the gospel to them. And he's the one who continued them on with the gospel as he preached, as he taught. Of course, he was in Corinth for like a year and a half. And uh, we know that as he did that, he just knew these people very well. Uh, They were very near and dear to him. His heart's desire is that their spiritual walks would match what the truth of the Word of God is and uh, that they would be edified actually uh, kind of correlating with our um, thought today is to be made complete and that's the title that you be made complete of course I stole that I stole that one out of one of the verses that we're dealing with today too which I often do uh, sounds like a catchy title but it's it's the Lord's title <laughs> uh, but anyway um, He wants the saints to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. He's concerned about that. So he has a pastor's heart. He not only is like a pastor to them, but he is like a parent. He's a parent. He's a mother. He's a father to them. And that sounds kind of strange. You know, a mother, father, how is that? Well, he uh, is like a nursing mother to them. As he said in uh, the Thessalonians, he said that same, had that same kind of thought. He actually used that term. Um, if you wanted to look in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, we see that he gives an image of a nursing mother. He says, but we proved, the apostles, Paul himself, proved to be gentle among you, gentle as a nursing mother. Not only just a mother, but a nursing mother. Very gentle, tenderly cares for her own children right having a fond affection so he was like that to the Thessalonians and no doubt he would have that same kind of thought and feeling towards the Corinthians wouldn't he and uh, so that was one idea and of course you move down further in that same chapter and we see that 
in verse 11, he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So there is Paul like a father, Paul like a nursing mother. And so that shows you what the kind of concern that you'd have. You can't think of somebody having more concern for their children than parents, right? And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, it was to the Corinthians themselves. We're in chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. They were begotten through the gospel that was preached by Paul. So they're very near and dear to him, aren't they? Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19, and then chapter 13, verse 10, bracketing you know this whole passage in the, in the middle he has a concern for their upbuilding for their edification that they would be built up and you'll notice that is dealing with their spiritual well-being being built up they're his children he's consumed by the fact that they need to grow and uh, they were like carnal people they were very fleshly, as he wrote in 1 Corinthians guys, chapter 3. It was consumed all the way through. He's, he, and he's not concerned about building a, some kind of a kingdom where Paul is like at the top of the, this kingdom or building some kind of a building for them uh, or building on his reputation. That's not what he's doing there. But he is concerned about how the people grow in the church. And that's his main issue. It's spiritual maturity. It's not about his welfare at all. So as he writes this, you think, boy, it sure sounds like Paul is really selfish on this. You know, he, he keeps defending himself and then such. And by the time we reach the end of this letter, he makes sure that all of this is what he said. It's not about him. And of course, it's really all about Christ, but it's about them becoming mature in Christ and being made complete. So this concerns the Corinthians and it concerns us. We're being pulled right into this 2,000 years later. And all who read this and all who study this today, we see that this applies to us as we learn to be obedient and grow in Christ and to be made complete. That should be ever at the top of our list to be made complete in Christ. And also as a result of that, that others would be made complete and that we would be concerned about them as we're all like shepherds in that sense. So as we uh, pick up our Bibles this morning and it can stand for a few moments, we will read 2 Corinthians chapter 13 right at the end pretty well. 7 through 10. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. 
This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down, that you be made complete. Father, we thank you for your truth this morning, and may it be powerful on our thoughts and our minds, our understanding, and that you're speaking to us. Oh, Lord, speak through your word. In your son's name, amen. amen. All right, we get into God's very word. Verse 7, and it starts with prayer. It's prayer for them to do what is right. That's what is prayer. That, that's pretty good, isn't it? That people would do the right thing. We want people to do the right thing. Paul prays, what he prays for here is, is obedience. He says, now, as we, we pray to God that you do no wrong, that you do no wrong, that you do what is right, uh, that they live holy, godly lives, right? That's, that's a good prayer. That's really what, what we want. We want people to live godly lives. And the Corinthians' faith, he wanted it to be evidenced by doing no wrong. If they're doing no wrong, then they show that they are true. Uh, turning away from sin. And he mentioned a lot of sins that they could have been tempted by and were formally involved in, and maybe some of them are still having struggles with. So as they turn from that, that they would do no wrong and they would do what is right by following what after what is after um, God, uh, pleasing Him, right? That's what we want to do, to please Him, to um, to shun evil, to pursue Christ and the light of His glory. And so this is what Paul wants, that they would please the Lord. So in, in 1 John, John wrote that if you know that God is righteous, if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone else who practices righteousness is born of Him. The only way we can practice righteousness is because He is righteous, right? And the righteousness that we have was given to us at the cross, the righteousness of Christ as He took our sin. So we're born of Him and like he is righteous, then we are to be righteous. We are to be holy. And he adds there in 1 John three twenty nine. after that he says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Children of God, children of the devil, right? Either one or the other. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. And, the, and nor the one who does not love his brother. So he's... He's showing the black and white. First John, that's all it does all the way through. Um, here you have the if we sayers, and then you have the doers, right? And so this is what Paul wants. You know, he, he was a man of prayer for his church constantly, and it shows that, uh, of course, pastors are to do that for their congregation. The people in the congregation are to continually be praying for others. Uh, look at the, some of the prayers that Paul has. Some of them we go over quite frequently, but in, in Ephesians 1, you get a good glimpse of Paul's heart for the Ephesian Christians, and I'm sure he prayed this prayer for all the other Christians too. 
many times in Ephesians 1, verse 18, I pray, what does he pray? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Wow. Is that a powerful prayer? It's talking about the very power of, of God, the working his strength, his might, that we would know the hope of the calling, the riches of his glory, the, of the inheritance that is coming our way. Boy, when you get to know that, that uh, in, makes you enthused about walking the, the Christian life and knowing we do that in his power. You go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. These are prayers. Really, they're, they're promises for us too because if we pray in the name of Christ, in Christ's will, you know what? He will answer these prayers. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Got to love it. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve the things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's powerful praying, isn't it? That prayer can't be wrong because that is inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. It works every time. Wow. Um, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Very similar. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So we've had the Ephesians... We had the Philippians. Now we have the Colossians. Prayers that are very similar. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. To really know His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and God's wisdom. Not some other kind of wisdom or our own thinking, our own opinions, but God's wisdom, His understanding. So that you will what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to, to what? To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Is that encouraging? I'm sure that prayer right there goes right to us too. And you know what? I think Jesus says these kind of prayers as He intercedes for us. 1 Thessalonians. Here's a prayer that Paul had for them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. As we night and day, how often is that? Always. Keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face. 
and here's where we're at in our Corinthians passage today, and complete what is lacking in your faith, that they would grow more. They haven't arrived. Paul knew he hadn't even arrived. But he kept praying earnestly to see them so that he'd be able to give them more of the gospel. Second Thessalonians. That was First Thessalonians. He really cared for the Second Thess- or the Thessalonians, didn't he? <laughs> Second Thessalonians is uh, chapter one, verse eleven and twelve. <clears throat> to this end, also we pray for you, always. Sounds familiar, right? That our God will count you worthy of your calling. And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. And you in him. It's all about his glory, isn't it? According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it by grace for his glory. By his grace for his glory. You know, that could be a theme that you just walk around with every day by His grace for His glory. Wake up in the morning say, by His grace for His glory. You woke up this morning by His grace for His glory. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it? There's a book called that, By His Grace for His Glory. Anyway, that's the kind of prayers that Paul had. So he says, "One, you know, I, I pray this as we come back to our Corinthians passage. I spent a lot of time on that. Um... And I know sometimes I can have maybe way too many verses on sections, but I think it's a treat as you look at these and you go, hey, this prayer was for them. It was for us too. You know, this is for us. Second Corinthians, we're back to chapter 13. We're still dealing with verse 7, aren't we? Now we pray to God, that's what we just finished right there, that you do no wrong. We did that. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. And we were talking about that they would do what is right. Um, And he says, the whole motive here here is not to bring me up and, and make it look like, man, you know, Paul is like next to God. You know, he's next to Christ. This is not the point, or that he would be approved by them. Even he, he you know, he, he kind of stretches it a little bit here, but he lived for others, didn't he? Going to the places that he went, starting a, a church in Corinth—you got to be kidding me, right? One of the most immoral cities in the world, and then go to Thessalonica, and you find out that that is just as immoral there. <laughs> Everywhere he'd go, he go, that's the kind of people, and there was no churches there. That's where he always went. He went where there were no churches and he'd start them there. But he was selfless because he gave himself up for them because he went through all sorts of trials. We've studied that. I think when we were last in chapter 11, we went into the depth of that. But he you know, he gave himself up in, in this ministry. And it's not that he make a name for himself or be approved. He says, I just want you to do right. 
I pray that you do right. Well, you know what? If they do right, then they're going to realize what he brought to them and how they became saved was by the truth of the word of God. Who did the, uh, the truth of the word of God come from? It came from Paul. So therefore, Paul is the one who is their father, their mother, uh, those little pictures that we gave. Uh, he really cares about them. He is selfless. But... And he doesn't want to come in there with authority and saying, okay, and bringing on the discipline. He writes this beforehand that they would already have it together and there would be repentance. Uh, He wanted to eliminate any kind of necessity to do something that would be um, pretty extreme. And so he says, okay, if this is the case, I would like to appear weak. They say, Paul is strong in his what? In his letters, but he's weak in his presence among that's the false teachers whenever he's there before you yeah yeah he yeah he does he can do it in the letters when he's there he's a weak person you know and he says okay i want to be weak then if that's if that's how you view me in that sense i want to be weak that you be strong as he's working for we'll get to that in a moment he doesn't want to discipline harshly he wants them to be doing right he says I'd rather see God transform you spiritually that we can rejoice together and this instruction that that you have in his truth that you would be formed to that to do what is right Paul has a selfless heart it's not about him and being lifted up here and approved even he says hey even if I'm not approved by you I want you to do what is right Romans 9, Romans 9, first three verses. This is Paul's heart for the Jew. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears, testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed cut off, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. He would go as far as saying, I wish I were accursed if you would become saved. He really cared for his countrymen, the Jews who were not Christians yet. He prayed for them, didn't he? Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two. we get a case of Moses. Moses, like Paul, does the same thing as he pleads before God for the people of Israel. The Israelites, they have... Uh, really messed up big time with the golden calf thing. God is angered. Moses was very angry. But then we have really Moses speaking to God in 32.32. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. Now that can't happen because God has already predestined him to be part of the kingdom but Moses says okay if if you don't forgive them then I can't 
be a part of the kingdom either. He's pleading for them. Lord, doing the golden calf thing? God could have said, okay, that's enough right there. I'm not messing with these people ever again. That's not the God that we see throughout the Old Testament, though. The mercy, the loving kindness that He has goes beyond our comprehension. And for the rest of the time of Moses, and for the rest of the Old Testament, 1,500 years, actually 1,100 years, you continue to see it from uh, the prophets, the judges and then the prophets, you know, the kings, the good kings, and you see a pleading there, but God shows through the person of the Messiah that he is still for them by his grace, for his glory. So it's selflessness that Paul has. It's not some kind of braggadocious attitude, is it? Can't lay that on Paul whatsoever. So there's number one. We go to number two. This is going to go by quick. Verse 8. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Does that sound like Paul? We can't do anything against the truth. Only for the truth. Truth is the whole gospel. The truth goes from Genesis to the end of the book. They didn't have a revelation back at that time. But looking at it in hindsight, we can say that's all the truth that God has given us. Paul has no choice. He says that he can't do anything against the truth. I, I can't do it. I have no choice. That's, I, I can only do what advances the gospel. Desire of his heart is to come to Corinth to see the people obedient, that he wouldn't have to go against them, but that he would be able to line up alongside them because they're following the truth, he's following the truth, and so therefore, everything has been worked out by God. That's what, that's what he wants. In John 17, 17, Jesus prays in that great intercessory prayer. The whole chapter is Jesus praying, praying for the disciples, praying for the church, praying for us. In 17, 17, thy word is truth. Paul never went against it. He was always for the truth. That's what he proclaimed. That's what he, when he was converted by Christ, who is the truth, that's what dominated him, the very truth of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, about the truth, truth that we can't go against. It's our very guiding aspect that we live for. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth. Truth. We, we look at this this morning. We're dealing with truth here, folks. Now, sometimes when you watch a TV show, you watch or you read some kind of report by some person, it could be all true what they're saying, or maybe it's coming from a slant, a political angle, somebody's own agenda, whatever. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what 
people's really are saying as far as their hearts are concerned, right? But we know when we turn to God's Word, this is absolute truth in every way. That's good to know because we live in a day of lies. Most of the time you can't even tell if anything is true sometimes. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. It takes work to work in the Word, doesn't it? Who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the Word of truth. What truth? Here it is. Everything is to be based off of this as truth. James 1.18, I love this one for a lot of reasons. In the exercise of His will, you notice that? It's His will, and as I say often, His free will. He is really the only one that has absolute free will. He brought us forth. How's that? By the word of truth. He planted it in your soul. Why? So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. The exercise of his will, he brought us forward by the word of truth. That's how we come to Christ. That's what he does to allure us to him as he brings the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin of His righteousness, His truth, right? Always for the truth, the whole of Scripture. Let's move on, verse 9, as we're in 2 Corinthians 13, 9. So he says, For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Verse 9, For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong, this we also pray for, that you be made complete. There's a theme verse this morning. Paul had learned that in his weakness, he became strong. And we've talked a lot about that in the Second Corinthians, haven't we? Many verses dealing with it. If you went back to chapter 12, verse 9, oh, what a great section this is. Probably a memory verse for some of you. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We can brag about our weaknesses, but it's the power of Christ that is in us that prevails, doesn't it? Boy, that's, that's incredible, Paul. When I am weak, I am strong, he says there in verse 10. I think he was setting aside his pride. He knew he always had to deal with that. You can imagine the pride that Paul could have had. He certainly had it before he became a Christian. And I can guarantee you he had it as a, as a Christian. He battled with it. That's really our major battle is this. It's always that way because it's about self. But he learned that if you set aside pride and you're humbled, and you accept that weakness and disdain human abilities, 
we like to pride ourselves on our own abilities, we realize that then we become an instrument, a jar of clay that's filled with great power. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense. Have you ever noticed things in the Bible just are turned around different than the way that you would think if you were out in the world? You ever notice that? It seems like everything is backwards. The, tur the tables are turned constantly. We don't think the way that we used to think. And constantly we're learning more and more of those things. We don't think like we used to think. The claim that you are strong, as he says that to the Corinthians here, for we rejoice when ourselves are weak, but you are strong, I think probably could be taken in a sense that it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> uh, in the sense that they would understand strong as maybe um, because in 1 Corinthians it says they, they, had, they were enriched in speech. They were from Corinth, close to Athens. Many of them were probably very good speakers, probably maybe had even done some of the debates, maybe when they went to, to Athens, who knows. Uh, speech, knowledge, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, they didn't lack any spiritual gift. All of those gifts were there in the body of Corinth. Matter of fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 8 even went to the extreme and said, Your kings were slaves. Your kings, using that kind of language, they were so wise in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 10. You're so strong. You're so wise. Your kings. Paul means something different if they take it as the way the world would take it um, by this word strong. It really means to be firm in the faith. If it means that maybe I'm not really um, accepted here or approved, but it would mean that you are firm in the faith, so be it. That's great. That's the way I want it. Firm in the faith. Um... Remember that last week we looked at test yourselves? Verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So, dealing with that firm in the faith, uh, be of one mind and, and one heart. Verse 11 of this Second Corinthians, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So, strong. Paul, if he's seen as timid, and he uh, used that in chapter 10, verse 1, he didn't want to assert his strength of apostolic authority coming in there with the iron fist. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 9 through 13. Let's look at that sarcasm. He's already used this before, and I'm kind of used some of those, but. Uh, first, did I say 1 Corinthians? I'm just telling that to myself. <laughs> 
For I think God has exhibited us, us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world. You know what the word for spectacle is there? Theatros. Theater. If you go to a theater, everybody is looking down upon, you know, or, or up to the screen or whatever, what the show is or what is the, I mean, people have their eyes glued. They became a spectacle, a theater to the world. People were looking at them, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. <laughs> wow, fools for Christ's sake. Imagine that on a t-shirt. It probably has been. <laughs> I might have sold them at one time, I'm sure. But you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. I don't think that they had too opportunity to be, uh, um, too much opportunity to be prideful, did they? And we toil, working with our own hands when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And the whole world sees that. So, you want to be an apostle? <laughs> Woo! Hmm. Paul used sarcasm, but he would gladly use his weakness to show that. He just told that to the Corinthians in the first letter, didn't he? They needed to be humbled too. So he says, though, we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you're strong. And what he means by strong, that you're strong in the faith. I'm happy to appear weak then. It's okay. It's all right. If that's the way people want to get, take it, as long as you're strong strong in the faith, they're not going to see him any other way as the right way though, right? Paul had definitely saw value in these Corinthians. As many times as he had to write corrections to them, he rejoiced when he saw them strong. Prayer for them was that there would be obedience, that there would be strength. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Same church, different letter. 16, 13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Let all that you be done in love. Did you know love and strength go together? Be on the alert. Stand firm in faith. Stand firm. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. Look in Ephesians 6.10. This sounds very familiar. This would be the spiritual warfare chapter. This is how you defeat the enemy. It says in verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in Him. Not yourselves, in Him. And in the strength of His might. That's a lot more might than we have, isn't it? Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. 
against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world force of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Of course, you go on there. This is dealing with putting on the whole armor of God, right? Stand firm. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day when those temptations come and having done everything to what? To stand firm. This is what he finishes up with the Ephesians here. Sit, walk, stand. Sit in the heavenly places. First three chapters. Chapter 4, he says, now therefore walk. Now he says, stand here in chapter 6. Stand firm. This is practical reality. It's taking the great doctrine the first three chapters talks about, that you are elect in the beloved. It's all his choice and predestined. Tremendous high thoughts that exceed our human thoughts. Awesome. And then he says, now. Okay, because of all of these things all the way through three chapters, I want you to walk, not like the Gentiles walk, but to walk in Christ. Obedience. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Stand firm. That's the Christian that Paul wants them to be. Pretty powerful terms there, isn't it? Go back to our Corinthians 13. We rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray that you be made complete. Great phrase. That's our title for the day. That you'd be made complete. This is what's happening to us. If you are of your Father and you have the righteousness of Christ, that is what is happening to you. You are being made complete. We are commanded to be complete, to stand firm, right? So it's what he works in us, and then we work it out. That is with communion with the Lord. Complete. Kartartidzo is the word. And it's a Greek word that I think explains it. It's putting things back in order. It's things that are broken. Um, broken bones need to be mended, don't they? A broken bone has to be put into place. A broken net. This word is used in the Gospels where the, the net was used for uh, fishing as the disciples had that. And so the they would take that net actually every time that they went fishing after it was done that nets would be somewhat broken they would have to mend them back on the rocks on on the shoreline there um, broken nets broken bones out of joint that's the kind of thought we're, we're thinking of here putting it back into location uh, what is suitable what is fitting what is sufficient what is complete we want you to be there. We want you to be complete. That's the idea. It's wholeness, isn't it? We want you to be whole. W-H-O-L-E. Everything coming together. 
That's what's happening to us. What you believe, what you think, what you say, what you do, they're all perfectly to be in harmony working together. What you say should be what you do, right? You say you're a Christian. Okay, this is what a Christian does. It proves that. They work in harmony. They work together. Paul wants to work through them, God's spirit to work his word through them there. And he says, I want to see you like Christ in, in a sense. Um, Colossians 1, 28-29. Colossians 1, 28-29. Different people in the same body. We proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man, every Christian, complete in Christ. When that day happens, when Christ comes back, we will be ultimately complete, right? We are to even be mature even right now. But he says, this is what we do. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works, ergo, ergon, within me. Power words there. The purpose is in His labor and His striving that He would present every man complete in Christ. What's our title today? It's dealing with that they be made complete. That's what Paul is about. Boy, does that bring glory to Christ? <laughs> whatever is out of location, whatever is broken, whatever is disconnected, we want to see this come together. That is complete. Galatians 4.19 And they, ahead of myself, my children, with whom I am again in labor, in labor. <laughs> Paul paints a picture now of like a, a, a mother or, or one who's going to be a mother, like pregnant woman in labor he was in labor striving right until Christ is formed in you he is in us but he's being shaped formed in us we're becoming like him right but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed among you that was the Galatians wasn't it is that the Galatians Remember, remember their deal? Yeah. To Christ be formed, complete. Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. 
stand perfect, to be complete, to be mature. He labored earnestly for that. So Epaphras did that. Not only Paul did this, but who? Epaphras did it. Anyone who ministered the gospel, that's what it's about. So that people would be made complete. They constantly met with people and preached through the Word of God. And they didn't have all of the New Testament done at that time. And we do. We look at this. This is why we meet. This is why we do it as often as we do so that we become complete. Or do we have it all together and we don't always need it? Anybody that would answer say, yeah, that's right. Then we, there's nobody here to say that, would they? We know that, uh, no, we don't have it all together. We sure don't. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Did I do this one earlier? I've got to do it again. Did I do this Tuesday? <laughs> As we night and day, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You've got, and he said before, hey, you guys have got it. You have love. Love more. You are doing these things. Do it more. <laughs> That's what Paul says constantly. Keep doing it more. Increase and abound in love for one another. Anyway, complete. Being made complete. You know what the things are that needed to come together there in Corinth? Well, all these things we've been looking at, but where we have been uh, lately... In, in 2 Corinthians, when we were in chapter 12, that was just a chapter back. <laughs> Might be weeks ago, but look in chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. It couldn't be that long ago. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you that I'm when, what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. Remember the list of sins? That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented, this is our word, repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality, which they have practiced. Whoa, you mean this was going on in Corinth? Yeah. Even Christians? By the way, he says in another place, though, if they practice these things, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So it shows that they're really not believers. But could a Christian done those things, did some kind of action, he says, you have to repent. Please repent. He's been begging them. And that's what we talked about when we were in, in chapter 12 there. So one thing they needed to be mended upon was those kind of sins that were just mentioned plus many others. Church discipline we found in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 that they would minister that. And they had done it, he found out. Chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. It's dealing uh, with uh, submission. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. They are uh, to be uh, uh, in submission to Christ, to the very word of God, that the power of God would be uh, living in them. Um, 
in verse 5 and 6 talks about uh, the test examining themselves maybe there's been something there that has uh, made them look like they possibly could be failing the test and then we saw in, in 7 through 9 uh, of our text today here was obedience so you have repentance and church discipline and submission and the authenticity of, of their faith and then obedience um, that's the things that they needed to be made complete. They have a ways to go yet, don't they? That's what Paul wants. We desire that you be made complete. Doesn't that sound good? Do you want to be complete? you want to be whole? Well, if you're a Christian, obviously the answer is yes, I do want to be made whole. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Then he says, repent, come to Christ, trust in His grace. Trust in Him. Trust in His Word. Go to verse 10. For this reason, after all this, here's how he ties this little section up. For this reason, I'm writing these things. Now, I'm absent, right? While absent. This is the reason why I'm writing these things. So that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. It's for building up. I write these things so that you would be made complete. This is what I'm doing, that you'd be built up. I don't want to tear you down to be built up. This is the sum of it all. Matter of fact, here's what we have been building up. You ready? You ready for this? Okay. If you're trying to get a handle on 2 Corinthians, one of these days you'll be reading a text in Corinthians, and if you have the whole insight of what Corinthians is about, and, and, of course, I don't see how we can miss it if we've spent this uh, over a year doing this. The sum of it all is writing, I'm writing these things. I really don't want to come there and take out a sword. I don't want to use severity. I'm writing these things. The sum of this is, is that when I come, I not use severity, but that I see you, that you are mature that you are being made complete, that I don't have to use severity, to use the sword, to use the double-barrel shotgun on them, right? (laughs) So whenever I'm among you, whenever I'm present, I don't have to be severe. Matter of fact, I want to come and we just rejoice together in how the Lord has worked in you. And so he, he gives kind of one last warning. Of course, the sum of it all here is that they'd be made complete I'm writing this so that you would be complete. What do you think of Paul? I think he's representing God's Word absolutely perfect, isn't he? As he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He kind of gives one last warning here, reminding the Corinthians of his apostolic authority. If they don't have obedience here, this is the third time that um, Paul points out in chapter 10 through 13 that he'd be coming he wants it to be very clear do you think he's made it very clear (laughs) he's laid down evidence after evidence after evidence Paul that's enough that's enough he just kept building on that and the thing is he wants them to be edified to be built up he's not on the business of tearing down is he nobody wants to do that as a Christian Sometimes, though, demolition is necessary. If you have a house and it's rotted, the termites have come in 
He didn't know it all that time, and you don't have a single wall that is not been damaged and corrupted completely. Everything is needs to be just taken all down to the foundation and start over again. And that's what Paul would have to do if there wasn't repentance. Demolish is what he would do. It's the only way to have a sound structure because if you try to build on wood that is all eaten up, totally damaged, there's no... There's no foundation there even. You don't have a house to even have a hope. You've got to start over. And that's the idea. He says, I didn't come in here to tear down, but if it has to be done, it will have to be done, right? You have to look at the truth. He sought to build them up. So isn't that interesting as he puts there, I don't want to come in there tearing down. I really don't. I don't take joy in that. I don't want to do that. I want to be built up as you are built up. He's been begging for repentance and humility and obedience to reject the false teachers, all of that. That's what we've been spending all our time on here these weeks. Uh, he's been a teacher out of the classroom. And in most classrooms, I'm afraid that uh, you're going to have some class clown come up and he's going to take the teacher's spot. <laughs> and as long as the teacher's not there, you guys remember those days, right? But have you ever been in a class where people were mature and they just did their studies and just did what had to be done? Well, no. <laughs> okay. Just imagine, in a perfect world... <laughs> The teacher's gone and everybody is honest and they're not cheating. They're not, as they're taking a test even. And they're just right there and they're writing down their answers and they are plugged in to what they're to be doing. But that would be because the people would be totally committed to the grade that they make and they want to make a good grade and it's because they want to, they want to do it because this is what they're really after. They even want to please the teacher in some senses. <laughs> Paul says he gave me the authority to edify. To edify. This is what he's done. He's given me the authority to edify, not to tear you down. This is what I'm writing about, to build you up. I want to see you build it. This is what the whole letter is about. After we've come up all the way to this, it's been building and building and building to a crescendo all the way to the apex. And here we have it right here, folks. It's for their edification. That's what we're here for. You know that? For our own edification that we be built up. And then we're here for each other so that they be built up because we're all lacking. What one has, the other one doesn't have, and vice versa. And boy, the more you get around God's people, say, man, I've been blessed because they have something that I do not have at all. I really need that. That's why the church exists. That's the parts of the body. Every part of the body needs another part of the body. Otherwise, they don't exist, do they? Beautiful church. That's what uh, God has done. Christ's head of it. This is what I'm writing about. You're building up. Please deal with the issues, Corinthians. I 
can't wait for a time of building up. Look in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Our last verse we go to. We'll close here. 14, 19. However, so, then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. It's kind of a construction term, an edifice, building, to build up. We come for peace. We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of what? What Those two words. All throughout the New Testament, what are those two words? One another. Close with this. What do you think happened to the Corinthians? We don't know for sure. There's actually probably enough evidence to show you. And we might look at that next week. But I'll give you a little hint. I really believe that the Word of God is so powerful that it will accomplish its purpose because in Isaiah 55, God says that. I believe this, that it will not return void because you have First and Second Corinthians in your Bibles and we see what Paul did and how he prayed for them and that they are Christians. I believe that in that church in Corinth, they were edified, they were built up. They were what Paul wanted to see whenever he saw them. And beloved, I I say that there's great hope that what is accomplished there in Corinth is being accomplished right here in Grace Community Church. That we would just continue to be built up, edified, glorifying God, and so that God would deal with all of us as we live by His grace and for His glory that you be made complete. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit that those two can make us complete, will make us complete. We trust in that kind of power. Holy Spirit, from the heaven above, that kind of power will not fail. And so we pray for each one right here this morning and for our whole body, this particular church and the whole body of Christ, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. They would know the hope of your calling. And Lord, to be encouraged. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.